Now we're going to turn to God's Word, continuing our Old Testament series, and look at a problem that often perplexes people reading the Old Testament. What's all this stuff about fearing God? Why are we told to fear God if in the New Testament we're told love casts out fear? Is there a different God in the Old Testament, a frightening, terrifying God? And then in the New, we have a God that we don't have to fear. What's going on here? So I, this is an important question. I would like to address this head on today. And my goal is to be really clear what it means when we read verses telling us to fear God. I'd like then to have three sections I consider this in. First of all, is fearing God an Old Testament idea? And I'd like to give my solution up front to this whole problem right at the beginning rather than making you wait till the end. And then uh, fearing God in the Old Testament, then fearing God in the New Testament. So um, how are we going to, let's first of all, by looking at the problem, by looking at some verses in the New Testament that suggest that lovers cast out fear. Well, they don't just suggest it, they say it very clearly. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And then Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, uh, are we still to fear God? Uh, one more verse here, Luke one seventy four, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. All New Testament verses. So this raises the question, are we still to fear God? Or is that an outmoded old covenant idea? And um, so there are some verses in the New which still speak of fear. So this gives us a problem. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, your translation might not say the fear of Christ, but the word phobos, which is this one word for fear that we have in the Greek, that's the word that's there. So I'm just translating it how it's there. Second um, Corinthians seven one. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Hmm. That sounds a bit Old Testament, Paul. What do you think you're doing? Well, haven't you read about love casting out fear? Haven't you read Romans? You wrote Romans. Uh, then what about um, Revelation 19.5? And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Another verse that sounds like it's in the Old Testament. And they go on. First Peter two seven two seventeen. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, what's going on here? 
Well, one solution is to say that good fear means to be in awe of. So we're in awe of God. Um, but that really doesn't work in many cases, and it's not actually a very good solution. And I'm going to give you my answer, and then I'm going to spend some time proving it. So right up front, I'm going to tell you what I think now. <clears throat> so I'm going to say there are three possible ways we can translate the word fear. We can understand the word fear depending on the context. The first of these is to be terrified of. Um, you know, that's the, the normal word in English. But, you know, we're terrified, we're frightened of it. The second one, which I'm going to argue is the usual one that we're going to be seeing, is allegiance and commitment to in love. To fear someone is to give them our allegiance and our commitment in a relationship. And the last one is to be in awe of, and that's less common. And it's pretty obvious when it means that. <clears throat> so I'm going to argue that you can easily tell from the context, if something frightening is happening at this time, then, you know, for example, there's a storm on the lake and the disciples think they're dying, then the fear, that means terror. That's, that's pretty obvious. Um, and there are times when there's something really inspiring. For example, it says that humans are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? It means that God's design of us is just so awesome, the way he's built our bodies and the way he's created us. And so quite clearly that we're to translate it as number three on this slide to be in awe of. Um, um, and I'm going to say that um, number two, which I've got there, the idea of allegiance, it doesn't have any of the connotations of being afraid of right there in there. It doesn't. And, um, I'm going to argue that we can do this in our language. We can have to, a word that's got two completely different meanings and there's not really an overlap. I'm going to give you an example. So the word sharp depends on the context. Uh, you can say it's dangerous because it can pierce you. Be very careful with that sharp knife. Yeah, it's dangerous. Or we can say it's stylish. Wow, you are looking sharp today. And there's not an overlap in those ideas. Somebody who's dressed very well looking sharp, isn't about to pierce a person. It's not like, I mean, you could create a scenario, but but that's not really in there in the meaning. And we can tell by the the context which one we mean. We tell, you know, if I say that knife looks sharp, we don't mean it looks stylish, um, not generally. It's The context is pretty clear which of those meanings. And it's the same way that we can tell which of these two very diverse meanings. So really, the question then um, that we that we have to focus on is um, how does this work? And how this works is I've given you my solution. I want to look at fearing God in the Old Testament and really see how it came to mean this and why I can be confident about this meaning. And then we'll move to the New Testament. So <clears throat> I did there. Are, there are 20 Hebrew words for fear it's like it's amazing you know most languages have got a few there are 20 different words and i looked at every usage of every word and the printout was something like 80 pages i did a thorough job on studying fear in the old testament and i was hoping that which word they chose to use would determine what kind of meaning it had that didn't happen they 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 could use the same word to mean two very different things and i'll give you some examples in a minute actually i'll give you an example now moses said to the people 
Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. So, And it's the same word for fear in both of them, and they're opposite meanings here. We can tell from the context. Um, so the solution to this problem, the reason for this, is the idea of the covenant and covenant allegiance. And let me explain this to you. Uh, we need to have a bit of context from their culture. So if nowadays, if you were to make a contract, say you are, you are going to buy a car on installments and you, and you wrote a contract to say you're going to pay so much per month for payments for this car. And uh, what is there to make you keep up the payments? Why should you keep up the payments? Well, quite simply, you know that if you stop doing the payments, then the car will be repossessed and you know, they'll, they'll go to court and they'll repossess the car. There's a legal system that enforces things like this. This is the, the culture, how it works. Now, in those days, instead of of contracts, they had covenants and covenants could work at an individual level or they could work at a, like even a national level. So let me give you an example. Imagine the Assyrian Empire um, uh, negotiated with a small country on its border and said, look, um, uh, why don't we come to an arrangement? You pay us so much gold every year and we will protect you from being invaded. And they would um, make a covenant. And the covenant would say, you know, we, this is our, our obligation. Our obligation is to pay this money every year. And then the, the emperor's obligation would be to protect them um, with his military. And then you'd have some, some things that would happen if they failed. So um, if I fail to pay you the money every year, then, you know, then you'll come and destroy my kingdom and so on, all sorts of bad things. And, you know, some, some stipulations the other way around. And so the covenant uh, had, and it was an agreement, but it had some clauses in there, which said, what would happen if you didn't commit it, if you didn't uh, keep it? So imagine then that the Egyptian empire starts pushing up in this direction and the Egyptians come to this little country and they say, don't worry about those Assyrians, like we'll take care of them. They are, they're, they're gone. They're not, they're not doing anything anymore. Um, give the money to us. We'll protect you. Um, the real question then is whom do you fear? Whom do you fear? And so this idea of fearing is a covenant idea, is fundamental. And I'm going to give you a, like an example of this. It's not an emotion then. It's a rational decision about allegiance. What is in my best interests to uh, be allegiance, am I allegiance there or am I allegiance there? And this is Judges 6.10. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. In other words, you've not feared me. And I could give you many verses where God says, don't fear the Egyptians, fear me. And he doesn't mean be afraid of me. He says, recognize that your allegiance to, to me is what will keep you safe, not your allegiance to the Egyptians. And so this idea of fearing being allegiance started off 
in this framework of covenants. And so, so fear is being, is being committed to obeying allegiance within this framework. And it became to you, to be, came to be used more broadly. Let me give you some examples. So allegiance is to obey God because we are committed to him. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And I've put in red here all the things that are equivalent to fearing. But to fear the Lord your God. So that's the same, which is the same as to walk in all his ways, which is the same as to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So all of those things go together. They're all the same sort of thing. And you notice the last one, with all your heart and with all your soul. That's, that's um, a real like a commitment of a relationship. So the idea of terror doesn't exist in here. It's the idea of, of, of allegiance. And um, this is this is something that comes through very, very clearly as we go through the Old Testament. It's not about emotions, but it's about behavior. And there's another one in Deuteronomy 4.10. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words. So these are the words of the covenant so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that, that they may teach their children so. So fearing God is about learning his ways and teaching your children his ways because it's about simply keeping his commands, um, his commands of justice and fairness and, and uh, all of the, the, the wonderful um provisions that he'd made for them to live their lives and so following god then hearing his words uh, it's it's not about emotions it's not we don't they didn't do that because of emotions they did that like rashly learning i have committed to following god i'm going to learn his word i'm going to learn his commands and i'm going to learn that i mustn't steal i mustn't oppress people i mustn't tell lies i mustn't do all of the mustn't kill i mustn't do all of these bad things because i'm committed to god and i fear him in other words my allegiance is to him he's the one who's got a right to tell me how to live so it's fundamental that we get this idea so i want to say that it's an allegiance without a hint of terror. Um, let me give you some more places. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. Now, what we're seeing here is what's called Hebrew parallelism, where you get two things stated to equivalent statements, but stated in different ways, but they match up. And we, we call it technical term is synonymous parallelism when they mean the same thing, but they're just put in a different way. And so we have those who fear you are the same group as those who take refuge in you. There's not terror there. It's the opposite. Let's see how this goes on. 
in the sight of the children of mankind. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And what's the parallel? Those who hope in his steadfast love. So to fear God is to hope in his chesed, his love that will never let you go. To hope in that love is to fear him. It means the same thing. So we can see like the idea of terror is not in there at all. Not even really the idea of awesomeness. It's the idea of allegiance. He is the one who I'm going to follow. So uh, let's look at um, another example here. Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. In his chesed, again, that parallel between fearing God and hoping in his love. So I just that's just so beautiful. That completely, for me, transforms fear in the Old Testament and in the New, those references. It completely turns it upside down. That fear is not about any hint of like being afraid of him, but just a commitment. He is the one who loves me. He is the one who is my refuge, my hope, my, 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 my salvation. I have nothing to fear if I am in God, because I fear him. But I'm not scared of him at all. I may be, I may have awe at what a wonderful God he is, but perfect love casts out fear. So uh, another thing I want to suggest is it's allegiance and trust and commitment, even when you sin. So, so this amazing thing in Psalm 130, verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. This is speaking to God. That God, so that we can fear you, you'll forgive us when we sin. That would make no sense at all if it meant terror. It's, um, it's, it's so we can commit to you with complete devotion that you forgive us. That's the idea that's there. Um, so we can remain in covenant with him even when we sin. It won't break this covenant relationship when we sin. So um, I've got another question for you. So uh, did Jesus fear the Father? Well, there's a surprising couple of verses. Um, it's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah. And this is uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So this can't possibly mean that Jesus is terrified of his father. It can't really even mean he's like overwhelmed with awe about him. It just means like he's committed to doing the will of the father. As he said many times on earth, I will do the will of him who sent me. Many times Jesus said that. Uh, here's another verse about Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. And remember, um, when Jesus was at the woman of Samaria in John and uh, the disciples came and they found him talking to her and said, you know, aren't you hungry? And he said, my food is to do the will of the father. That's what fearing God is. It's when, you know, we so want it to like our allegiance is so much to him that doing what he wants is like our food. That's what that's what Jesus. That's how Jesus feared the father. It would be ridiculous to understand it any other way. I think I risk my case. You think you can see by now that this must be the, the, the interpretation of fear. 
Um, so, uh, my question here is, why are we told to fear God if love casts out fear? Um, this is the question I'm dealing with today. Uh, we've looked at my idea in initially in the Old Testament. Now I'm going to finish by looking at some verses in the New Testament that really reflect this understanding of fear. So, fear in the New Testament. What is this about? So the word follows basically the same usage as in the Old Testament. There are places where it cannot possibly mean anything negative. So here's another one. Here's one. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she fears, and that's the literal word, phobos, fears her husband. So some translations put respect in there. You know, they're trying to make fear in terms of like awe or something like that. That's a wrong translation. That is wrong, I'm going to say. Um, What I'm going to say then is that um, awe would not be a good alternative. Uh, She's not to be in awe of her husband. That's not the point. Allegiance and commitment would fit perfectly. And in fact, love can mean this as well. You know, to love somebody is commitment to them. And so actually, the responses, the, the requirements of a husband to the wife and the wife to the husband are really not so different because loving and, and fearing, when you understand fear properly, are not really that different. So like we're to love God and to fear him and it comes approximately the same thing. And so the the uh, requirements for the husband loving his wife and the wife fearing the husband amount to something that's not so different between them if we understand this properly. And so uh, so that's, uh, that I think really resolves verses like this. So I think um, another good question to ask about the New Testament is, uh, did Jesus ever want his disciples to be afraid of him? Because he's God. Did he ever want his disciples to be afraid of him? Well, here's some, I'm going to give you some verses here. Matthew 17, 6 and 7. Jesus is transfigured like he's bright as the sun. Uh, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. Matthew 28.10, Jesus is resurrected. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Um, reference from Revelation 1.17, in heaven, when I saw him, this is John seeing the risen Lord, the heavenly Lord, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So once again, when God's visible to us in the person of Jesus, we're never told to be terrified. That doesn't happen. Now, sometimes Jesus' miracles could make people afraid. And even then, Jesus told them not to fear. So Matthew 14, 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Mark 6, 50, they all saw him and were, not, and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Luke 5.10, and so also were James and John, sons of Deborah Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So some examples of him um, when he did mirror each of those three occasions, it was a miracle. So I would say that, as I said to start with, that sometimes um, fear can mean like awe, amazement, wow, just ah, this is incredible. Um, because God um, is still God, and there's still like wow, there's still like an awesomeness about Him. But it's pretty clear from the context when that's how we're to understand it. So I've got a. I'm going to come to the end now, and I've got a single slide. I'm going to try and sum everything up that I've said up to now. And uh, so I want to say then that um, fear is allegiance and commitment, unless the context indicates otherwise. This is my main argument today. It originated from a covenant idea where. You know, if you wanted, the reason you would keep a covenant would be you would, because changing allegiance would be, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd fear the, um, changing an allegiance and you'd, you'd serve the one, um, who, who had the least fear. Um, so that would be the origin of it, um, with some of the, the treaties. But it came to simply mean allegiance. And that's the way that God used it in his law. Um, and I want to say that he is our Lord and we are committed to him. So when we're reading the Old Testament and you may read verses like Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How are you to understand that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is being committed to God. Wisdom is having your allegiance to him. Wisdom is devoting yourself to him. That's wisdom really important that we see this otherwise things like the proverbs and the wisdom literature in the bible will will just not make any sense to us so this is what the fear of the lord is um terror fear is only appropriate for those who are not committed to following him so it's it's true that if somebody is not following jesus then there is a place for the terror type fear the, you know, the day of judgment will be a place of terror for them in a negative sense. So if somebody's um, not committed to following him, then that is not the case. <clears throat> However, even our sin does not make us fear unless we no longer desire to follow him. This is re- a really important point. Um, uh, that forgiveness allows us to live without fear. A number of years ago, I heard the story of a, of a man who was an executive in a large corporation. And uh, he had a big office, impressive office. And he had, in front of his office was a, a secretary's office and a waiting room. And there was like a whole lot of hurdles to get to him. And if somebody wanted to see him, they had to make an appointment in advance. They had to go in and check in. And then they kind of waited here. And eventually, they'd be let in past all the gatekeepers to see him. But apparently, this guy had a four-year-old daughter who would just walk straight in, you know, and everybody would let her and she would walk right in without any fear and come straight to her dad and talk to him. And this is the image that I think that we have, that our relationship with God is to be like. And it's that's the idea of of 
living without fear. And uh, I think the the verse we read in Romans 8.15, which is what I want to end with, just sums this up so, so well. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba, the word for daddy, it's a very intimate word. And so um, we this is how we should be in our relationship with God. This is how he wants us to be. And the key question this morning is, who are you following? That really is the question. It's not like, how perfectly are you following him? But who is your allegiance to? Is it to yourself? Is it to something else? Or is your allegiance to God? And if your allegiance is to him, there is nothing to fear. There is absolutely nothing to fear. Fear God and you won't ever have to be afraid. That's how I'm going to sum this message up today. Fear God and you won't ever have to be afraid. If you understand what fear means, simply to commit ourselves to him. Follow Jesus. So let's just bring this to God in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful teaching you've given us in your word that um, fearing you is not a matter of terror, but it's a matter of trusting your love, trusting your chesed love, your steadfast love that will last forever and trusting that it is worth serving you. It is worth giving our life to you because when we do that, we have nothing to fear. Lord, may all of us here this morning renew our commitment to you, that you are the one who is the ultimate, you're the one who we give everything to, who we submit everything to, who we, who has our complete allegiance. Lord, we give that to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.